So the first word of the parsha is ve'ele. So it kind of gets you uh, curious why they named it mishpatim and not ve'ele. There are among the Rishonim who do call the parsha ve'ele ha-mishpatim. So we lose the hey, huh? We we just call it mishpatim. So there is a discussion, and this will start at the midrashim, continues through the Rishonim, and moving forward to what to do with not just the word ele, but more importantly, what you do with the vav in ve'ele. So we know that the vav is a vav hachibur, the vav is something which connects, and therefore the vav would indicate that there's some kind of continuity from something which was before. And the way that Chazal put it sometimes is that it, had it said, Ela hamishpatim, these are the mishpatim, see, and these, that's where we started. But, <laughs> but, but, see, Oriella's giving me a hard time already because she said there's nothing clever about it. But did you notice that the and is in a small a? And there are three dots before, which which therefore would indicate that ve'elahamishpatim means that we're continuing from something before, and not just a new beginning. Then the question becomes: So, what exactly is this? Is the continuity, or is this connected to? It's at that point that the commentaries can't seem to agree, because essentially now what really is necessitated is some kind of a new framing. So I, I want to pause for a moment. Had the Vav not been there, and it just had said, Ela Mishpatim, most of us would have read it the way that most of us read it anyway. And that is that there seems to be this obvious disconnect between this week's Parsha and between various Parsha that we had beforehand. And as much as Rashi could insist in the very first Rashi in the Torah, that the Torah should have begun with Hachodesh because that's really where law starts, so one could put the, forth the argument that as much as law starts over there, that we really do have, to a very great extent, we have uh, law beginning over here. Because yes, in Parshat Bo, the, in Perik Yudbed, and then again in Perik Yud Gimel, you have a number of laws, but all those laws are framed around the narrative some of them the laws of how it is we leave Egypt, and then some of it is, and when you go into the land of Israel, you're going to continue these laws. So yes, there is the beginning of the law, but let's note that those laws, for the most part, I'm, I'm, I'm saying for the most part, even though I don't have to, that those laws are all laws which have to do with how we serve God. When I say how we serve God, they're part of this commemoration, celebration of the holiday, of leaving Egypt, of Pesach, and so on. The laws over here are very different, because the laws over here have a, a, a somewhat of a different flavor to them, even though I'm going to qualify. And the temptation, I guess, of all uh, rabbis of a certain ilk or scholars of a certain ilk will be then to try to compare these laws together with other laws in the ancient Near East, which probably is not as simple as some people think it is. And for, just for example, people say, oh, compared to the Code of Hammurabi, from the from the latest that I've read about the Code of Hammurabi, and these for the most part I read these things a very long time ago. I took in graduate school, but I took a course in the Bible in the ancient Near East. But more recently, coming back and, and looking at some of this, the, the Code of Hammurabi may very well never have been implemented as a uh, actual living code. It may have been like one of these things like you put on the parochet in the shul, but it doesn't, or right in the Aaron Kodesh, but but it wasn't necessarily a law 
which was lived by as much as some kind of a, of an ideal which was mentioned. So one has to be careful in the comparisons and saying, oh, look at this legal system, that legal system, because as I said, it may not have been an implemented legal system as much as a uh, theoretical idea which a society had aspired to, but then what happens if with noncompliance? So as I said, that becomes part of a much longer discussion. As I said, I'll, I'll just push that on the side, but mention that nonetheless. So the, the temptation over here would be to compare it to other things which existed in antiquity, and I think that makes a, a great deal of sense. Nonetheless, there are going to be certain elements over here which we're going to need to uh, to pay attention to because, again, it will be this slight nuance. So on the one hand, what we're going to have in, an eye open towards is what exactly is the Vav doing? What is the continuation? What is what are we continuing? What What is the reference that we're talking to about? And the other issue is going to be what really is or what what is the texture of these laws which are being introduced over here. So I'll say again, superficially, what we have over here are what we can call interpersonal laws, right? Ben Adam Lechavero, interpersonal laws. Even though that's not exclusively correct, moving forward through all three chapters, of uh, when I say three chapters of Mishpatim, I'm talking about Perak of Alf, Kapet, and Kaf Gimel. That's not going to be the case all the way through to the end. There are going to be some, and then there'll be some others. But if we'll just note in the beginning, it, it, it's interesting. It begins with Evid Ivri, and Evid Ivri is somebody who is part of our people. That's the Ivri part of it, and nonetheless, they found themselves in Avdut. And anybody who's read Sefer Shemot till this point will hopefully clearly be sensitive to the word evid or avdut, to slavery, servitude, and, and what kind of terrible world now allowed us, who were former slaves, became free people, to enslave one of our own. And of course, the answer that some of you would argue back with me is, that, no, this is not really slavery, it's something else, and, and I'll accept that. The only thing which is really quite interesting is nonetheless the word evid. The other thing is, is the release... Is that the person cannot be enslaved unless they want that to be enslaved for more than seven years, or they can't be in servitude for more than six years. By the seventh year, they have to go free, which kind of sets up for us like a macro kind of a Shabbat understanding that six days you work and the seventh day you go free. And, and that itself should already alert us that we're not dealing with something which is simply or exclusively something which is a man to man law, there is this, there's something hovering above us, and we'll call that God, and there's something spiritual hovering above us. The, the other thing which is going to be interesting is once we're talking about years instead of days, then you also have the sabbatical year, and just in case you want to go looking for it, it is mentioned in Parashat Mishpatim as well. So therefore, and therefore maybe you could have then questioned why not put them a little closer to one another? That doesn't concern me as much. But the idea that land will work for six years and be free on the seventh, and the person will work for six years and be free on the seventh, therefore, and, and the Shabbat six days and, and, and the seventh, and the Shabbat was an important issue, as we had seen previously, going through certainly Parshat Peshalach, there was at least one reference in the text, there was more, and then there was, in Rashi you'll find some more, and then of course moving into Yitro, you had at least one important mention of Shabbat as well. So that as the spiritual background of what we're reading over here as this somewhat servitude 
because it's not real servitude because the person's going to be set free, makes it interesting. The other idea, which again, you all will know already, the idea that in Pasuk Vav, that if the person does insist that they want to stay, so then we're told that taken specifically to the door frame, and the door frame was connected to the narrative which we had seen previously, and the narrative in terms of leaving Egypt and the laws between man and God and going to them and putting the blood on the door. But, but I, want, I want to f- emphasize that for a moment. When you take the blood and you put it on the doorpost, the doorpost just then became something. And the thing that it became was a mizbeach. And just in case you don't think that's important, that's important. Which means, as much as you know that I love this teaching, which is found in the Targum Yonatan, that they were flown that day to Jerusalem and they celebrated in Jerusalem, they didn't. They were in Egypt that day. So how exactly do you bring offerings in Egypt? There's no temple over there. There's no Beit HaMikdash. There's no Mizbeach there, which means to what extent does Pesach in Egypt connect to Pesach for, you know, in the future? And, and most importantly, where is the Mizbeach? And the answer becomes fascinating. The Mizbeach will actually be revealed as the doorposts, because that's what you do on the Mizbeach. You put the blood on the Mizbeach. And I'll go so much further. The idea that you can't eat blood and you can't eat fat, the way and the place that it's mentioned, is mentioned because these things are meant to be on the Mizbeach. These are part of the service, and therefore you can't take something which is part of Kodshim and use it in part of a private life. And anybody who thinks that I'm getting carried away now, I'm not. Again, we can go back and look at those verses in context where it's introduced that one can't eat blood, where it's introduced that one can't eat fat. It's within the context of divine service. And therefore, and, and therefore, this is something which goes on the Mizbeach, therefore taking the blood and putting it on the Mizbeach, instead of the Mizbeach, put on the doorframe, that becomes very interesting. And by the way, for some of you who then would be intrigued, yes, there is room to then discuss Hanukkah, why specifically the candles are lit, in, are lit by the doorframe. Door this is connected as well to an idea of a Mizbeach and to an idea of, uh, of serving or not serving God properly, which led to the inability of using the, the Beit HaMikdash during the time of the Chashmonaim. I'm not saying any further, the Or Midrashim, which will go in this direction. But over here, the appearance of the doorframe, that's exactly where you have to ask yourself. And again, I've already taught you this idea of what we called intertextuality, that when we're going to find certain things, then you go back and you search to try to understand them because we've seen this before. That is not, that should not be a very difficult concept to understand that even though there is something interpersonal taking place over here, nonetheless, I'm going to say it again, there's something which is hovering above and that thing which is hovering above is not, again, not just the, the door frame in all of this should not be ignored. The the other thing here, which then after we get to that point, there is the, the male slave and the female slave. And then there's this marriage thing in the background, which of course, which is quite interesting. If I were discussing the laws more, I would get into this a bit more, especially the term at the end of Pasachet, Bivigdoba, how she has... Uh, the way that she has been treated is called Bigida, which is really quite interesting. It then talks about which is murder. And, and, and by the way, you should notice something right here. But if you don't notice it, I'll tell you in a minute. But right there after murder, it goes on and it says, talks about somebody who has killed by acts of a So it goes on to, into murder and killing, accidental on purpose, but then continues in Pasuk Yudet, 
You can even take the person away from my Mizbeach. So just in case you thought it was my complete imagination, which had seen the Mizbeach over here someplace, well, look at that. It's not just my imagination, because it's actually over here. So that, that maybe more than anything else, should alert us that we're not dealing exclusively with a an example of interpersonal laws which just as easily could have been found in other cultures that there is something about there is this divine law in the background over here that we really need to pay attention to it then continues gonev ishu machro is really quite interesting why that's thrown in the middle because that's really that's that's kidnapping and now the insistence that in the Ten Commandments, by the way, that's what I haven't been telling you yet, but to what extent any of this is connected to the Ten Commandments, where we did have reference to slavery, where we did have reference to treating parents, where we have had reference to, uh, to murder, where there is this idea of stealing, and then there is this insistence by tradition that the stealing in the Ten Commandments is not stealing, it's kidnapping, and then you're saying, hold it, where did you get that from? Well, maybe you got it from right over here, which over here, it uses the word geneva, it is perhaps a reiteration of what we had previously seen. And and by the way, now what should be going on in your minds is, hold it, so what exactly did this ve'ele what did that vav do for us? What was the reference that it was speaking of? And maybe it has at this point become a little bit clearer. The, the thing which is strange is it ta- started talking about parents, right? It, start, it talked about murder. And then it talks about parents. And, and, and you have then gonev ishu machro, and then it goes like, so why was the geneva stuck there in the middle? And of course, of course, of course, all of you should know that what's in the back of my mind with Gonev Ishu Machro is clearly a reference to to Yosef. See? See how good you're doing over here? <laughs> Wasn't that obvious? You got it by the first, of course, or by the third, of course? <laughs> right? <laughs> I've been doing this a long time. <laughs> that somehow everything's going to get to either Ganeiden or to Yosef. I forgot what the other things were. I'll have to ask them. It would probably, it'll probably make it much easier for me to prepare, uh, to prepare for Shira if I knew exactly what it was that I'm supposed to be, to be, to be looking at. Um, there is a lot more in terms of life. There's a lot more in terms of restitution, payment, and so on, financial responsibility. And I'm not going to read that much further now. I think we've done enough to get a sense. And let's go to Rashi. Whenever it says these, then it says anything beforehand is irrelevant. But when there is the vav, hachibor, and these, there is really a continuation of what was before. Just like the first ones, now Rashi doesn't tell us yet, right here, what the first ones are. What did that mean, Harishonim? Just like the Rishonim are from Sinai, the first Avedu, these are also from Sinai, which is very interesting because Rashi is not talking about content, he's talking about authority. Right? The authority of such is that these are laws which God said to Moshe at Sinai. And, and, and by the way, why is that all that significant? I mean, okay. There, there are two things which are very easily confused. One thing is called Torah Misinai, and one thing is called Torah Min Hashamayim. 
Does the, right? Does it really make a difference what was said at Sinai and what was said from God to Moshe? If some, God said something to Moshe in the 39th year, in the 40th year, right, and they're far away from Sinai, is it still, in terms of the authority, Torah min hashamayim? So, right? So, so I'm saying th- there's something very interesting about this by saying, oh, just like that was from Sinai, this is from Sinai, right? Okay. Which means, what exactly is Rashi telling us? So my point is that this Rashi can't be as simple as perhaps it sounds. He continues and he says, And why are these laws juxtaposed to the Mizbeach? So Rashi just now did something. He, he's really telling you that the Vav is connecting it to something, but he now qualified what it is. And the message, therefore, and this is quoted, as you see, somebody added in. Never never trust these, by the way. Never trust when somebody added in the sources for Rashi and, and for that matter, others. These these are done by publishers. I once questioned a publisher regarding a particular one that was pointed in. I won't say which publisher. I won't say which edition. But uh, he said, oh, you know, like, isn't that in Rashi? I said, no, it's not in Rashi. So he went back to the... F- person, the editor, and they said, oh, no, no, we put that in. I said, okay, so we got that wrong, because that, that wasn't, that, 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 I'm saying, that's not always, that's, it's not always connect, correct when these things are put in. Nonetheless, over here, we'll, okay, we'll, we'll trust them till you look it up, you'll trust them. And, but the point is what's important. The point is, is that one day we're going to build the Beit HaMikdash, and the Sanhedrin needs to be next to it. And that, that's very significant, because what it's actually telling me then is that the I, it, it goes down to issues of sovereignty. And by the way, in the background of all of this, I'm sure someone's going to talk about judicial reform this week, and so and so and so on, and and so, and, and so on and so forth. And uh, but that's really interesting. That in terms of authority, there needs to be a Sanhedrin next to next to the Beit Hamikdash, and and for those people. And I've said this over the years a number of times to so those people who, let's say, on Tisha B'av have a very hard time connecting with the loss of a Beit HaMikdash. They don't connect to that, you know, putting the blood on the Mizbeach and the innards and the so on and the burning and, this, and the animals and so on and so forth. Nonetheless, the loss of a Sanhedrin, which could decide law in a judicial way, should be something which would trouble us terribly because all the machloket which exists would, would disappear had there been a very clear way to adjudicate and therefore, this idea of the linking of these torts of the laws of the of this interpersonal with the spiritual is really quite interesting. And you'll notice what Rashi did, which is really interesting, of all the sources he could. I mean, there are other midrashim. Maybe we'll have time. We'll take a look. He could have connected this in other places, but specifically to go after the word mizbeach over here, after what we've already seen in this context, you realize is quite clever. Now, again, am I reading into this too much? The things that I've already pointed out is this what Rashi had in mind, or right? Essentially, I, again, I ask you these things all the time, and I apologize for this. Have we just now identified how clever Rashi is, or is it just that I'm very clever? So uh, you could you could de- you could you could decide whichever one that you want. But I, I, I do believe that that's you have to think. That's that, that's really the point. There's there's a deeper message that Rashi is telling us here, which we haven't gotten to yet. What, what Rashi is pointing out to 
is source number three. Now, just to be fair with Rashi, I want to go to the very end of source number three. The very end is Pasakov bed, right? We'll leave the last two verses. avanim gazit talking about how you build the Mizbeach, and it's really interesting that the that the metal, the sword, should not come in order to make the rocks, separation between anything involved in war, that essentially that metal is something which takes lives, while the Mizbeach is something which restores lives, is, is really interesting. That There are those who, uh, they think it's a law, but I think it's a custom, that, uh, let's say, have tzitzit, which are too long or frayed, or you're allowed to cut it with scissors. So it's actually written that there's a preference not to use scissors and then not to use metal scissors and people use ceramic scissors but uh, as I said it's a preference it's not a so if you've never heard it then give you another thing to feel guilty about so uh, I mean that's essentially what it's all what it's all about so <laughs> so what Rashi just now did is he took us to the end of the parsha and saying okay look at this is, look at this continuity look at this continuation now, of course there's one more verse v'lo by the way, I, I want all the women to note this, that there is a discussion of tzniot here, and it has nothing to do with women, right? I mean, this will never come up again, and this will never come up again in Judaism. This is like the... <laughs> it's... Uh, but it's talking about the tzniot of the kohanim, that, e- that, that even though no one can see that it's an inappropriate walking up the steps in terms of the, the propriety of this, but it, it, it is very interesting because Rashi again, Rashi's fo- focusing on the Mizbeach. The Mizbeach is in, is in both of those verses. Actually, if you go back another verse, it's also Mizbeach Adamat Aseli. So again, the, the Mizbeach is the end. So so what Rashi did is okay. Just go back to the Mizbeach. See, th- there is a slight problem with this. This isn't necessarily talking about the Beit Hamikdash. Because if you look at the end of Pasuk of Aleph, there was something which is called a Bama, which much more likely that's what this is referring to. It's something which is a Mizbeach, but before there was a Beit HaMikdash. So it's really interesting that Rashi took it and led us to believe, oh, look at the Mizbeach, this comes to teach it. So I'm not saying that's not a fair thing to say. I'm just saying it's not as simple as perhaps it, uh, it sounded when we first read it. The Ibn Ezra, in source number four, will take us in a different direction that we, we would not necessarily have anticipated at all. Ve'ela mishpatim. daber ata imanu. So I, I just want to stop there for a second. If we go back to, again, that same source that we were before, source three, I want to go back to the beginning of it. Pasuk tedvav is v'kola amor imatakolot. So this is the verse immediately after the Aserat Adibrod, after the Ten Commandments. V'kola amor imatakolot, v'talapidim, v'tkola shofar, v'ta'arash the people, they saw this incredible scene and they started to shake. There are those who say that this is the source that you shuckle when you daven because they were all shaking during, uh, during this, but they were shaking out of fear. Okay, this, was, uh, this was fear. They were shaking and they seemed to move away. And they said to Moshe, you speak to us and then we'll be able to hear Right? We're going to die if we do, if we do this. And I, I mentioned this in the past, and it's interesting they tell Moshe, okay, we're going to die, so you do it, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, the rabbi. Okay, so you, <laughs> you do it. Everything's okay. And, um, and therefore, afterwards, when Moshe doesn't come down from the mountain, 
Maybe, right. maybe they think they killed him. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm being very serious about this, is that I don't think that you can understand what happens in the whole Cheta Ego unless you go back to this verse, that if, that if we experience this, we're going to die, so Moshe, you go, and you die. And you die. <laughs> Okay, I'm just saying that this is, this is maybe more interesting than we noted. But this is where the Ibn Ezra just now took us back to, which means, is why is Moshe speaking? And that's what it sounds like, that Moshe is speaking. Why is Moshe telling us the Mishpatim? As, so it sounds like what the Ibn Ezra is saying so far, again, there's a lot more here. It sounds like the Ibn Ezra, Ibn Ezra is saying so far is that maybe this could have been part of what God was saying still, and the people had and the people you know had had paused and 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 had you know pushed stop over here. No, we can't do this anymore. And now this is also from Sinai. Now, now again, just to go back to that point of of Rashi, this is also from Sinai because this is the continuation. So 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 again, realizing you know that again that vav hachibur does push us back, and now the question again going to be, how much further back should we be going? So let's continue the Ibn Ezra. That when Moshe goes up to the mountain, he says, Now, where was that exactly? So now go back again to Perikuf and look at Pasuk Yud. And then it starts saying some laws. So where does that come in? Now, now one thing you should notice is talking about idolatry. That's, don't, don't, don't do this. Continue. Don't serve me in this way don't make Elohei Zahav. When you serve me, this is the proper way to serve. Which is interesting because Avodah Zarah could actually mean different things. And this is actually, if I'm going to go back to the Cheta Egel, there are two ways of understanding the Cheta Egel. One way of understanding it is, is that they had served the Egel instead of God. The others, they were using the Egel as a way of relating to God. So now again, notice these verses over here. Don't lo tasuniti By the way, if you look at Rashi over here, he'll talk about the kruvim because there is a big problem. What exactly is the difference between the kruvim and the ego? Which means, and, and the answer is Simon says, right? And that's a very bad answer. Or, or the ego just be, being being all the being something else. But no. But the last point that I'd said is that we have a difficult problem that the Kruvim were standing in the Mishkan on top of the Aron. So what's the difference between the, between the Kruvim versus the Ego? And if the answer is Simon says, which means this God said to do, this God didn't say to do, which means Avodah Zarah can also be serving in a way which is Zarah. That's not the way that I told you to serve. And, 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 then, and then, the, the dif- then the difference is not necessarily as... Yeah, right. Right. So, so and, and especially when you're reading these verses right over here, that's what emerges, because then, sun iti, right, don't make things which are supposed to represent me. sun iti, which means there's a contrast over here. Now, now using this as the introduction to again, that vavachibur, especially with the emphasis on the Mizbeach, I think now just became a little more interesting. But you notice what I did. And, and I'm going very slowly right now. I hope you realize that. I just keep 
going back a little bit more in terms of what exactly is in terms of what exactly is the context the vav what you know what is it pulling and how far back is it going where rashi really seems to take us to one or two or maybe three verses and now the ibn ezra starts by taking us a little bit further back but now let's read some other things in ibn ezra and this is going to be interesting i hope again from the beginning of source 4 mishpatim which is interesting, right? When Moshe goes up to the Arafel. Again, remember Rashi said, oh, this was at Sinai, by saying he goes up into the Arafel, seems to be saying that's what God says to Moshe when he goes up. Right. So again, so when is this taking place is really going to be the problem. Let's continue in the Ibn Ezra. Right, Moshe goes up to the Arafel. Kotomar b'nei Yisrael v'achalaz here Elohei Zahav v'shiyichrot brit imahem b'reddito she'ashem levado yelahem lelohim v'hireu ha'mishpatim v'amitzvot sheyomer lahem im yikablum az yichrot lahem brit v'amar lo b'sof eila ha'tnaim hinei anochi shaloyach malach lefanecha so what he's doing is he's actually looking at all three chapters of the Mishpatim as one whole concept. Essentially, we're going, this is, you accept me as God, this is how you serve. These are the rules that you need to accept, and then we will have a covenant. And then he adds something which we would not necessarily have guessed, just reading this week's parsha, and that is the Ikara parsha, and the most important element of this whole parsha is and the most important the most important part is get rid of idolatry and, and, and none of us I mean all of us would have read Parshat Mishpatim oh look how wonderful this is in terms of the laws the interpersonal and so on and the Ibn Ezra just now ruined all of that for us by saying you know that's just like a side point you guys need to behave and treat one another nicely but what this is really all about is getting rid eradicating the world from idolatry and I'm saying again, you just read this and say, wow, you know, is he reading everything that we've just now been reading? And the answer is yes. But the difference is, is that he's been, let's broaden the whole canvas and let's try to understand what's going on. So he just took this in a way that I think that we did not necessarily take it. But again, he's looking at much further. And he'll go to Devarim and when the Esser to Devarim are, are, are repeated. In source number five, the, the Rav Avram ben Harambam, ve'ele mishpatim, hachibur ve'ele Right, Choseret or not, El Haparshasha Kadma, Shenemarba, Vayomar Shema Moshe, Koltamar. Achrash Lamata Seret had Devarim, right, a Seret Debrod, Upsikata Kol, Uma Amoroyit Ale Shamati et Kol Devreham, and so on. So essentially, what he's also trying to do is to work this in to all of the details in terms of the continuation. What are we continuing? And it's very close to the Ibn Ezra of what he'd said. There's just a I just want to emphasize that, first of all, he mentions Aserati Brot, which should have been obvious to us. The thing that he's adding to this is that this is a repetition of the Aserati Dibrot, which means, and I'm going to exaggerate the whole point right now, which may or may not be fair, but, but uh, this is the way that I understand it. When God says the Aserita Dibrot, the actual plan was not just to say ten things, but to explain the things as well. And this is the explanation. So therefore, it starts with, okay, Anochi, and, 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 and so on. 
And these couple of verses that we have at the end of Parashat Yitro were the the explanation and the expansion of the beginning of the Dibrot. What then happens when we get to the Mishpatim, what you should note then is that it's an expansion of some of the Dibrot, and most importantly on the other side, of the of the of the luchot, which means it's the it's these other ones. Although although you will note, you know, the, you, you will you will you you will note that we have things about the parents, and we have things about murder. You have things about the kidnapping, and and, and so on. And, and and there is something else hovering over all of this, and that's lotach mode, which we'll see as well. And you then realize that what's really happening over here is this. Again, according to what I'm reading between the lines, this is the intended speech that God wants to give the people, which the people feel that they can't receive directly from God. And instead, Moshe then is called upon to give this speech because the people said, no, we just can't hear this any anymore. The Ramban in source number six, Ta'am ve'ela mishpatim. Again, everybody's troubled with the same point. What is that vava chibur? What are we connecting to? Which means the Ramban is about to tell us this very clearly. You saw I spoke to you from heaven. That's Anochi. Which means that strengthens Anochi. Don't serve other gods. That's exactly the point of, in terms of uh, what happens afterwards, which, which means this is the expansion. By the way, what's, what's, what, what's interesting is that when we say, again, this tradition, that God said the first two debrot and not the other ones, the question is, what does that really mean? Because especially if we have that other tradition that says that all ten were said simultaneously, that means that he, they heard all ten simultaneously, and then God comes back and says... About talks about Anochi and Lo and that's the expansion of this, which is actually the content which, which is being said over here, but the people recoil from that, and therefore Moshe says that to them, perhaps again, because God is speaking, but they're all running away, and it's at that point that then Moshe go, is then charged with explaining the rest of the Debrot, which therefore becomes Parshat Mishpatim. And if you're going to understand the way I just now said it, then now, and now that Vavachibor, Ve'ela Mishpatim, becomes much, much clearer. It's essentially that, that, that God was in the middle of a sentence and wanted to say something and the people don't want to hear it. Ve'ela Mishpatim. And this is the continuation of the, of the explanation of those commandments which deal with the interpersonal. But the interpersonal is not by itself because there's a connection in the Debrot. So once there's a connection in the Debrot, so obviously there's going to be this interconnection between you know, for example, again, that Mizbeach coming in in the middle of the story, because that is part of the of the discussion. Just read a drop more in the Ramban, because now once you see this, I think you can't unsee it. <laughs> Okay, 
and the and and the is is lo tachmod ki im lo yada adam mishpat abayat or sadeva shamamon yichshov shahu shalo v'yachmadayu v'yikachayu latzmo. Had it not been for this idea lo tachmod, the people would be taking everything which isn't theirs. You would have anarchy. Lo fichachamar tasim lefnehem mishpatim yisharim minagim otam benehem v'lo yichmadu mashe eno shalahem minadin and don't desire things which are not yours by law. And now you see the Ramban just goes and says, oh, notice that this Dibor and this Dibor and this Dibor is there. And by the way, in Shabbat we can find as, uh, as well, certainly within the expansion of, uh, of Shemitah. Now, what I would have done, and now to be perfectly honest, before I looked at anything else, and just looking at the parsha itself, ve'ila hamishpatim. So one of the things which I'd thought about was, okay, ve'ila mishpatim, ve'ila mishpatim. Till now, what we've done is in contrast to something else, but it also could be ve'ila mishpatim as a continuation of something else. Yes. The Vava Chibur, again, if it said Eile, it would be a new start. Anything beforehand is not of a concern. When it says Ve'ele, there's two ways of understanding the Ve'ele, in contrast to what we've just now read, or in continuation of what we've just now read. So in contrast, it could be, okay, we've had the Mizbeach, if you want serving God, we have the man, we have the interpersonal, we have the man to God. On the other hand, we maybe have other Mishpatim, which is mentioned till now. And the first thought that I actually had in terms of Ve'ela Mishpatim is just, let's roll back a little bit. Where did we see Mishpatim mentioned? And by the way, Mishpatim were mentioned in last week's Parsha. Mishpatim were mentioned in the very beginning of last week's Parsha when Yitro shows up and sees Moshe sitting in terms of judging the people. So, which, by the way, is not so simple what that is doing there. Now, just imagine for a moment, again, maybe this is just completely imaginary. Imagine for a moment that we had over here like a long, you know, parentheses. Yitro comes, sees Moshe judging the people, and now some everyone's got to be asking themselves, but what was he judging the people on? Based on what? Then it tells the whole story of Matan Torah, which, by the way, is clearly before the visit of Yitro, or at least that part of the visit of Yitro. Maybe what it did is it took the whole Yitro story and threw it together. Yitro arrives maybe before Matan Torah, maybe. But Yitro sees what's going on. The problem is says, Mimacharat, the next day. So why, if the whole Yitro story is afterwards, why put it there in the first place, which is a very fair question, maybe to juxtapose Yitro, the good non-Jew, and Amalek, the bad non-Jew, in order to draw, before we draw just conclusions generally, and therefore we have somebody who's supportive and somebody who's attacking, so maybe that's why it was placed right over there. But nonetheless, all of us should have been thinking, what mishpatim? So therefore that's been waiting and waiting and waiting, and then it comes back here and says, oh, ve'ela mishpatim. And the ve'ela mishpatim should go back to the story of, of Yitro. This is the, these are the laws that were being Im- implemented at that point. If you, again, look at source number seven, and you see that Mishpat is mentioned various times in this section, and I, I didn't have to even work that hard because it's there, but that, that would become very interesting because that would be very different from what we just now read in the Ramban. Essentially, now now we're going back, and and again, the question is, you have a Vavachibor, how far back are we going? Also, in source number eight, when they arrive by Marah, and it says there, 
ושם שם לו חוק ומשפט ושם ניסהו. So you also have mishpat being introduced over here. And what's interesting is what Rashi does. In verse 9, Rashi tells us, שם שם לו חוק ומשפט, במראה נתן למקצת פרשות התורה שהתעסקו בהם, שבת פרה אדומה ודינים. דינים would be mishpatim, laws. דינים would be laws. Because what he's explaining is שם שם לו חוק ומשפט. Mishpat would be dinim. Dinim is the understanding of laws. Later on, which is still in this week's parasha, Rashi is going to come back to that. Not in the beginning. By Ve'ele, he's focused on what's immediately before. But in source number 10, when it says, Ve'yavo Moshe, Ve'yisaper la'am, et kol devrei Hashem, ve'et kol ha-mishpatim. I should have bolded that for you also. Ve'et kol ha-mishpatim. Now, I would have said that what mishpatim are we talking about? We're talking about the Mishpatim in, in chapter 21, 22, and 23. It was the whole first part of Mishpatim. And then it says, We'll do everything that God said. And Moshe writes it down. Right, no, now I hope you like that the Mizbeach over here is built. And so on. And so on. And so on. He takes the Sefer Brit, which we have no idea what it is, and as a result of that, we have, and then Asev Mishma sounds very much like it's contingent on what's in the Sefer Brit, and the Sefer Brit seems very much that it's a continuation of whatever was before in the Mishpatim. Now let's look at Rashi in 11. That's called the Mishpatim. Rashi writes, Shev Mitzvot Shenetzur B'nei Noach, V'Shabbat, V'Kivor Eim, U'Para Duma, V'Dinim Shemnu Lehem B'Mara. So Rashi absolutely avoids that the Mishpatim... So it's funny. As I said, I would have thought that the core of the Mishpatim are found by Mara, and then they're expanded in Kafal Fukhapet Kav Gimel, maybe Asarat Dibrod as well. But Rashi, who clings to the Ein Mukhtar Umukhar, and the other point is Rashi very much wants the Nasev Nishma to be completely independent of all the Mishpatim. If you say, how do the people say they're going to do before they heard anything? If they heard Perikof Al Kapet Kav Gimel, and again, this is just a simple homework for anyone who wants to take it up, just take those verses and turn them all into Mishnayot and Gemara, and your homework is to tell me how many Mishnayot you would end up having, and how many uh, pages of Gemara you would end up having if you understood the verses in Kaf Alf, Kapet, and Kaf Gimel properly, and I think you'd end up having uh, a, good, right, a, a good amount of Nizik, and you have some Nashim, you have uh, some Moed, you have some Zra'im, and uh, essentially you, you could argue at the end that you have, uh, I don't know, a third of you have a third of Shas, maybe more, even at, at that point. So they said, they said, and they already heard so much, that's more than the average yeshiva guy learns after eight years in yeshiva. So, uh, so that's, it. by the way, one way of doing this is to uh, learn the Torah Tamima on, uh, on all of the parsha. Rabbi Berkowitz told me that during, uh, you have to be old enough to remember this, that during the gasoline uh, shortage in, uh, back, in, back in the day. So he, said, he told me that once uh, waiting online for gas, he learned the, the, all, all the Torah to me on Parshat Mishpat. Waiting online for... Uh, it, it, says, it says about both. 
I mean, to, to learn all that online, you probably need a, at least a little bit of uh, familiarity of, uh, of the concepts. So, so, and then Rashi's going to do it again. Vayichtov Moshe, in Posek Dalid, Mibereshit v'admatan Torah v'kol mitzvot shenitzu v'marah. Which means, what is the Sefer Habrit? Sefer Habrit, Mibereshit v'admatan Torah mitzvot shenitzu v'marah. So therefore, what did they accept? They accepted the Shev mitzvot and what was written by Marah. And Rashi is going out of his way to avoid but all of us realize something that that's mishpatim and this is mishpatim ve'ela mishpatim over here really does sound like it's an expansion of what was by Mara and for that matter I can say an expansion of what was uh, also stated by um, by Mara and also what we find when Yitro is coming and seeing the people because we have two examples of uh, Mara and by the way just in case you think that that I wasted my time with this kind of a thought process? I later on Chazal say it word for word, which either is either is very good or very bad. But I'm just saying is that that's what I'm encouraging is thinking is because once you think through what could or should this be, and then you find that Chazal say this. If we look at source number twelve, okay, this is Midrash Rabbah, Siman Aleph, the Eilu Mishpatim. So he. He writes, So those commentaries, including the Rambam Sandra, Rambam Rambam, the Ibn Ezra, who just saw getting eradicating of Odazar is the main point, you realize that Chazal also think that this is really the main thing which is going on, which is interesting because none of us would have said this by ourselves. But that's one thing about Midrash Bar. It goes on to getting rid of Avodah Chachamim. Simon Gimel. Which means, what is this expanding? Exactly what I'd said. And, and you realize it's not that all that I did is look for that word. Where is that word used previously? So therefore, Therefore, you see that this idea of looking for the other mishpatim, this is exactly what Chazal do. Although he added something else, because it's he added another thing, in terms of why it's placed there. It ends up being, the way that this Midrash is explaining it, is that you had mishpatim, when Yitro comes, then you have mishpatim afterwards, and in the middle you have a seretati brot, which means a seretati brot now, again, this whole thing is about framing. And you know, you can frame things however you want. You could focus in any place that you want. Sometimes the canvas is much bigger and you can look at a little or part of it or you don't know exactly how broad you should be going. And then, and if you move the focus, then something else appears. So he just now moved the focus a little bit this way and he ends up with a Saratidi Broda surrounded by Mishpatim, which itself is very interesting. It, it, it's as if that in order to be deserving of this word coming down from heaven you, or revelation, if you will, then you need this to be surrounded by this interpersonal behavior, which therefore will make us deserving of that revelation, but it is surrounded by it. And there's something a little bit deeper that I want to try to get to, and let me, everything that I'm saying here, if we wanted to work harder, we can then look at the Aserati Dibrod, how they're presented again in Dvarim, how it's surrounded, how it's presented, what are the concepts over there, but we didn't want to work that hard. The Chizkuni, I'm going to say almost as usual, but this has this connects to another teaching of the Chizkuni, which we've seen previously, will drive us completely crazy. And he's going to say, HaMishpatim Lamala Horalahim Seder Yiratam. Mikan ve'elech mora al 
lahem seder hadinim, which means previously was questions of serving God, fear of God, awe of God, reverence of God, and now it works, which means man to God, and now interpersonal. So, which we could now frame as the different parts of the Aserta Dibrot, that previously it had told us all the things that you can't do, but there were no punishments mentioned in the Aserta Dibrot. See, the thing is that we have a tradition that the all of the Aserta Dibrot are punishable by death, which is actually one of the reasons that it's insisted that Lotignov is actually kidnapping in order to bring it to the same severity as murder and other things. So, continue. And he writes, Therefore, Chazor Pirishma Onashan. Therefore, comes back and tells us what exactly is punishment. When Rashi says, Oh, why was it placed in this way to teach us something? This is fascinating. He goes, oh, that tells you this is not the proper sequence. By the way, that was not the only conclusion you could have drawn. He says, oh, really? The right place for all of this would have been in Parshat Bahar and not over here. Now that 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 he took us to Bahar is is completely fascinating. The Alzepirish Rashi, the Elamosif Alarishonim Klomar, Al Hadinim Aktuvim Biparshat Bahar. So so you talk about, you know, low you know, the 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 things in, in, in their proper sequence or uh, chronological integrity. And so note a couple of things. One, source fourteen. Beginning of Bahar. The end of Bahar, the end of Bahar, of Parshat Bahar at least, goes back to the point of slavery, which is actually where we're beginning, and 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 exactly the point that we're getting to. There's another thing that I didn't include here, and that is at the in Bechukotai, it ends up. Perik Kavav, Eila Hukim Bahamishpatim Vatora, Ashenatana Shembino, Uvein Beneso Baharsina Biad Moshe. That sounds to be the conclusion and the Mishpatim. So we say, oh yeah, that's where the Mishpatim. See, there's another point in the Chiskuni, and this we've seen previously. Chiskuni believes that the Nasev and Ishma was said not just after the Mishpatim, it was said after the Tochacha. He believes that they heard all of the Tochacha, and then, and that's the Sefer Habrit. The Sefer Habrit. Why does it think that that's the safe for Abrid? Because it says, and this is the, this is the, yeah, this is right. This is the right. This is the Brit. So if this is the Brit, so the safe for Abrid contains the Brit. So what's the Brit? The Brit is the deals of uh, uh, the, the terms of the deal. What's the terms of the deal? If you don't keep it, these are all the kind, all the tochacha. So therefore, he's the Chiskuni is already over. One second, the Chiskuni is already over here. Because he understands that's a safer habrit, and therefore he believes that this that all of Mishpatim really should have been there. Which means, in a sense, we should have gone straight from Har Sinai, Moshe going up straight into Parshat Truma. Parshat Truma should have been the thing which was immediately next, you know, following this, and that is uh, is and and that and and that's the continuation 
of the of the mizbeach. Yeah, I, I I was going to try to stay away from caste structure. I actually I actually depending on how you look at it, I had a series of Venn diagrams over here which are taking place, and uh, I don't need caste structures. Leave that for people who have nothing to say. Excuse me. Just look at the pictures. The rest of what I wanted to say. The question is: Should I talk for five more minutes, and or should I? If I if I if I if I if I oh then okay you want more then okay okay you want more you want you want me to put it together for you you don't want you don't want me to, you don't want me to start you don't okay 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 you get you get you get you get you get you get the five you get the five more minutes then let let's take a look at the kliakar in uh, in Bahar. Right, we're already in Bahar, so let's take a look. So he he says over here that the that the in Bahar we talk about Shemitah and Yovel, right? Shemitah and Yovel. Yovel is counting the forty nine years and then the fiftieth year. And he says, Well, of course Bahar Sinai and the Yovel should remind you of the counting of the forty nine days of leaving Egypt in order to get to Sinai. And then the point is, is that Eretz Yisrael and Sinai are actually very similar, and he even has this great line at some point, two-thirds of the way down over here, and he writes, right, sorry, 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 in the middle of the Kliakar, four lines from the bottom or so, so there's a couple of things which are interesting about this. One is actually he claims that they counted when they left Egypt in order to get to Sinai, which is really interesting. It's not what it says in the Torah, but it's really interesting. And he's drawing a parallel between the land of Israel and Sinai, Avirat Israel Machim. Right, the land of Israel, the air of Israel makes you smarter, and Sinai is what made them smarter. But it's actually, there is something which is much tighter, which I, uh, I want to explain. If we go back, and we've been skipping something along this whole time. See, we went, just think, and those of you upset because you missed last week, that's, you realize how much I've been in Yitro, right? So we started at the beginning of Yitro, and we had Mishpatim. And then we went to Sarita Dibrot, and then we went to... Uh, and then we went to the, those couple verses afterwards, and we got to Mishpatim. So therefore, we had Mishpatim before Mishpatim after, right now. Now, now forget about your cast instructors. Now, now instead, instead, you did. Now, now in, in, instead, look at our again our Venn diagram go, going around, and what's in the middle is the Saratati Road. But I, actually, I, I skipped something in order to do this. And what is it that I skipped? I skipped Parakutet. Parakutet was a very nice Parak. Very nice things in Parakutet. And I feel really bad having skipped it. So what was in Parakutet? Parakutet was an introduction of holiness. Kedusha. Mamlechet kohanim v'goy kadosh. By the way, the concept that you're kohanim already indicates a couple of things. One, it indicates a relationship with the rest of the world. Other thing that it, that it indicates is divine service, which is what a kohen does as well. So therefore, this idea of divine service and the mizbeach coming... See, now I just move the focus. You have the... Kohanim over here, and you have the Mizbeach over here with the Aserite Dibrot in the middle. Or, though, for that matter, and I already gave you the hint on this, I can go to next week's parsha because next week's parsha begins and Aseli Mikdash. So, therefore, I have Kedusha, right, and Kedusha, Mishpatim in the middle, and now surrounded by Kedusha. I mean, the same way that I can say that the Aserite Dibrot is surrounded by Mishpatim, I could just move the, everything over, like one space to the left, and now I have the 
Kedusha and the Kedusha, and I have, in the middle, I have Mishpatim. So that's, and, which of course, all the Torah is uh, interconnected. This is really the teaching which is found in the Ramban, which is in Source 18, but I, I want to I say it like this. First of all, the Ramban's going to tell us this is the beginning of Truma. This is ready next week. The Ramban is going to tell us that if you understood Har Sinai properly, you'll understand how the conclusion has to be now to build a Mishkan. By the way, on a functional level, that's obvious because now you need a place to put the, the road. Where do we put these things? But it's but it's much more than that. It, it, it's for the Ramban. It's much more than that, and that is that they're holy. These are holy people. Now we need a holy place for the holy people. Now we need a way to serve God. Right? We need a place to put the Mizbeach which means all of the things that we have, even the Mishpatim, they're all connected. Again, Aseretiti brought with both sides and we placed inside the Mishkan, inside the Aron, in the Mishkan, again, with the Kruvim on top, which makes everything else a little bit more interesting. But you now, he says, again, let's look a little bit in Source 18. He says... Um, and I'm skipping towards bold. And he writes, and he goes back to Parakutet. And he says, God made a, a covenant with them. A couple lines before me. If they are holy, like it says in Parakutet, then the logical conclusion of this is to make a Mishkan. So he sees, again, these Mishpatim sitting in between the holiness and then the introduction of the holiness. Going down a couple of more lines, end of the line it says three words, V'sod HaMishkan Hu, and the secret of the Mishkan is that the same holiness which hovered around Sinai will now be found in the Mishkan. So let me explain all of this in a slightly different way, and we'll look at the Tosefta that I skipped in 17. It says, In the center, Machane Levia surrounding it, Machane Israel surrounding that, Kachayu Yushalayim, Bipetach Yushalayim by Petach Harabayit, Machane Israel, Bipetach Harabayit by Adshar Nikanor, Machane Levia, Mishar Nikanor, Lufnim, Machane Shechina, Vehemem Klaim Shabimbar. That he's saying that the Tosefta says, and this is going to be cited all over after after this Tosefta, that the structure, what Yushalayim is, is the same holiness that was in the desert of in terms of these three different parts. Shechina, Levim, and then Yisrael. By the way, for anybody who has a hard time on Tisha B'av saying the Nachem, they say it's not true. You know, the words we're saying about Yushalayim are just not true today. That's not really true that it's not true. Because this look how big Yushalayim is. That's not true. You can't eat a korban in, uh, in Kirat Yovel. You can't eat a korban in Ramot. You can't eat a korban in Rechavia. All those places do not have a halacha. I don't know what they're charging with Arnona. But all those places don't have a halacha. They're not Machane Shechina. They're not Machane Levia. They're not Machane Yisrael. There, there are certain laws which create that, including, by the way, the wall. 
And though this is not the case in terms of the new Yerushalayim, the new Yerushalayim is not have a halacha of Yerushalayim in terms of being any of these places. Now, what this Tosefta did is it drew the connection between Yerushalayim and the encampment in the desert. If you really follow the Ramban properly, you'll understand something else. And if the Ramban doesn't say it, then I'm saying it, but it's, I'm not the first one to say this. That actually that structure of Shechina and Leviya and Yisrael is what existed by Harsinai. By Harsinai there was already this, oh, you can only go this far. By the way, this idea that if you go any further, you're going to die. Who brought death into the discussion? Well, Moshe, when he talks to the people. Nobody, again, that's all of Perak Yutet. There's holiness over here. You need to be careful in dealing with holiness. If you cross over in places you can't go, then death was going, going to result. The idea of only Mo, Moshe becomes the Kohen Gadol. Moshe goes lefnei v'lefnim. Moshe goes to the Machanesh Shechina. Right? There are others, now you start thinking about it, and this is described at the end of Perak at the end of Mishpatim. Others can only go this amount because there's Machanesh Shechina, there's Machanesh Leviya, and there's Machanesh Yisrael which means essentially what the Ramban is telling us over here is the holiness that existed on Sinai now has to go into the Mishkan. And then, it, which means it starts by Sinai, it goes into the Mishkan. In the Mishkan, then it will end up at its home place back in Yerushalayim. And this is going to be the same as Sinai. And just like Sinai, the Torah comes out of Sinai. And therefore, going back to where we started with Rashi, that the, that the Beitin has to be right next to to this Beit HaMikdash. Of course it has to be next to the Beit HaMikdash. Why? Because it is this revelation. Now you go back to those words, Rashi, Misenai. This is Misenai and this is Misenai. This is the content of what is being said when there is the revelation. The point is the revelation. The, what the Ramban is telling us is now there's a necessity for an ongoing revelation. That's what the Mishkan is going to be. God is going to speak to Moshe from the Mishkan. And now, and now what's going to end up happening is that, okay, let's, let's now put it this way, is ve'elah mishpatim. What I've been trying to show you today is that, you know, you look at Rashi, you go one verse back. You look at Ibn Ezra, you go a little bit further back. You look at others in the Midrash, you go even further back. You look at the Chizkoni, you go into the future. You look, you look at it other ways. Again, where you draw your lines is going to help you on what you're focusing on, and now you're realizing there's lots of different ways. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. That's really my point. I don't think, I think that Aserat Debrot are surrounded by the Mishpatim, but on the other hand, also surrounded by this Kedusha, which is around it. Again, it just depends what you're looking at, but both of these are true, or all of these are true. And it's not a question of this is what the Ve'ela is, so therefore our dots Ve'ela and these, you realize that there's lots of lots of uh, possibilities of what those these are, and that's why it's deliberately with a small a, because this is actually a lot more complicated than maybe you'd seen before we started. Okay, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat shalom.